You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. immediately in the wrong coming against a man of God who was God's servant even though they're following the king's orders they're following him but they knew it now the Bible clearly teaches that we owe submission to the government and the governing authorities you can look at that in Romans 13 yet in the human sphere of things the biblical command to submit is never absolute It's never absolute, but always conditioned by the greater responsibility to submit to God. In today's message, Pastor Dave explains a time in Elijah's life where he was challenged by the king's servants because he was following God's instruction. When the king's servants tried to attack Elijah, fire rained from heaven and destroyed the attackers. We are called to submit to authority if it doesn't go against God. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 1. As he continues his message, Transformers, not Conformers. You are the Lord had him on speed dial, so he got that there. I love it. I love the fact that the Lord, and he says, go meet these guys. Go meet them. And he's supposed to ask them this question. I love this question. I really do. He says, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron? Is there no God in Israel? Aren't you worshiping God? You're supposed to be God's chosen people. You're supposed to be Jewish. You're supposed to be a, 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 a royal nation. And, and you're choosing to go there? It is a good question. This just shows how far they had fallen. Shows how far they had fallen into debauchery. Just how far Ahab and Jezebel took the people and their own children away from God. It was a great question that Elijah asked. Why would you want to consult someone else instead of God, especially a fly? Why would you look at a fly and go, what should I do? But this is what people do, intelligent people, people who reject the one true living God. You know, man was born to worship. And if you're not worshiping the one true living God, you're going to worship anything else that that seems fitting to you. Many people reject the worship of God, and they do stupid things. They, they do stupid things when they reject the worship of God. When they reject the one true God, they do stupid and foolish things. David said in Psalm 53, 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And they do foolish things. Can you imagine worshiping a fly? Give me a break. And then you're calling it Lord? Well, when Paul wrote to the Romans, he gives us little insight to this kind of a man. The man, quote, who knew, who when he knew God, failed to glorify him as God. Neither was he thankful, therefore his heart was foolish and darkened. This is what we see. Now, I'm sure, I know Ahab knew the Lord Jehovah. I'm not sure of Jezebel, because she was a pagan woman. And I don't know about Azahiah, if he heard anything from his father Ahab, But Ahab was the man who knew God, but failed to glorify him as God. And look what happens. And then it tells, back in in, in Romans 1 1 and 25, it says, Paul says that this person, this person who knows God, but doesn't glorify him as God, worshiped and served 
the creature rather than the creator. Mr. Fly, what should I do? Oh, Mr. Fly. I mean, come on. One commentator I studied said this. So King Azahiah did not seek help from the real God. Therefore, he will get no real help. (laughs) Instead, this will be an occasion for the real God to send a message of judgment against King Azahiah. When we seek other When we seek something other than the one true God, we will get no help. Now, a lot of the commentators I studied went so far as, what's the first reaction when you get sick? I got to call the doctor. Or do you pray? What's your first reaction? They liken that to this. Take it or leave it. But I'm liking it to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added as you seek first the kingdom of God. But instead of getting help, Azahiah gets judgment pronounced. It's judgment day for Azahiah. Look at verse 4. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And Elijah departed. I love this guy. I really like Elijah. Comes in, boom, you're going to die. Boom, he's gone. Elijah's cool. He delivers a message and he bolts. He's gone. I love it about that. He, he always leaves as quickly as he came. So then these messengers want to deliver Elijah's message to the king. Look at five and six. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, it is because, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. I love it. I love the king's response. I love the king's response in verse 7. Then he said to him, what kind of man was it who came to you to meet you and told you these words? What kind of man was this? Who told you this? Did he... Did he have a notion that it might be Elijah? Did he, was he kind of thinking, who told you that? I want to know. Because he knows there's false prophets everywhere. See, he knows who God is. What, what kind of man told you this? <laughs> Their response, a hairy guy. <laughs> Look at verse 8. So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And then the king said, is it Elijah the Tishbite? He's a hairy man. Does this remind you of anybody? A hairy guy? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, why does it remind us of Because John the Baptist ministered in the spirit and power of Elijah, Jesus' own words. Elijah was not bare-chested and full of hair. He probably had a camel hair jacket or some sort on. The king recognized him immediately. It's Elijah. He remembers what happened. He remembers all those things. So he sends his captains to fetch Elijah. This wasn't a good idea. He tells his guys, go out and get this man and bring him to me. I want to see him. Let's look at 9 through 12. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was, sitting on the top of a hill. And he spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then he sent it to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to them, Man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. <laughs> okay. Is, is this where 
James and John got the idea of calling fire down on men when they were talking to Jesus, when, you know, and he called them the sons of thunder. Let's call some fire down upon these guys and burn them up. The captain comes to him and he admits that Elijah is righteous. How does he admit that? How does he admit that Elijah is a righteous man? What does he call him? Man of God. He knows that Elijah is a, is, is, is a righteous man. He calls him a man of God. So he is immediately in the wrong. He is immediately in the wrong coming against a man of God who was God's servant. Even though they're following the king's orders. They're following him, but they knew it. Now, the Bible clearly teaches that we owe submission to the government and the governing authorities. You can look at that in Romans 13. Yet, in the human sphere of things, the biblical command to submit is never absolute. It's never absolute, but always conditioned by the greater responsibility to submit to God. Remember the apostles before the Sanhedrin in Acts 5.29? In Acts 5.29, the apostles are before the Sanhedrin, and they said, Do we not strictly command you to teach in his name? I'm in 28. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. So you see, the law here is that there's a greater responsibility to God. There's a greater responsibility to God. That's why abortion is legal. Abortion is legal in this, but we have a greater responsibility to God. A greater responsibility to follow his commandments, to follow his command. So we don't advertise, we don't encourage, and we don't believe that abortion is the answer. See how different it is from the world. The commander should have resisted the ungodly and immoral command that King Azahiah gave. He should have obeyed God. He recognized that he was a man of God. His 50 men should have refused to obey him. Cancer says, if I'm a man of God, Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down for heaven. He put the issue in a sharp contrast. If he were really a man of God, then the captain and his men were on an ungodly and immoral mission. They were coming against God themselves. Notice Notice that Elijah didn't bring the fire down. Please know that Elijah did not bring the fire down. Who brought the fire down? God. God brought the fire down. He couldn't do it. He needed divine approval. His reply simply meant, Yo, since you called me a man of God, let me prove how much of a man of God I am. So then the second group comes up. God brought judgment on these guys who acted as if Yahweh was not real and and, and he was not the real God and Elijah was not his true servant. The second captain repeated the error and he got bossy. He said, come down quickly. Don't make me wait for you here, Elijah. Get down here. He should have known. When they got there, one, one, one commentator I read said, when they got there, did they see the burnt ground where the other guys were? I mean, did you see something? Did you think something was weird? I don't know. But they went up there. The specific request that the second captain made come down quickly shows that the second captain made his request even more bold and more demanding. Don't keep me waiting, Elijah. Don't make me come up there. The people and the leaders of this Israel had gone after pagan gods. They had gone after there so long they could not distinguish the imaginary impotent gods of the world and the Lord God. They couldn't make the distinction. That's what happens when you serve other gods for so long. You begin to believe the lie and you get swallowed up in the lie and the lie then becomes truth to you. And you can't tell the difference between the real truth and the lie truth because you follow the lie for so long and the lie becomes real to you. 
They thought Yahweh was powerless compared to their gods. This judgment kind of seems harsh, but the message from Jehovah God is quite clear. And it's the same message that Jesus gave, and it's the same message today. Repent or face judgment. Repent or face judgment. King Azahiah was a proud guy, and he sacrificed a 100 guys in an attempt to prevent his own death. But then a third captain comes up. This guy comes up. Look at 13 and 14. Again, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men, and the third captain of the 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life, let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, Fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of fifties and their fifties. But let my life now be precious in your sight. Notice the difference in the way the third guy comes. First of all, he comes, he falls before, he comes humbly. He comes as a humble servant. He doesn't come boastfully. He doesn't come braggartly. He comes as a humble servant. He recognizes that, hey, this is truly a man of God. And he falls on his face. He falls on his face before him, and he says, please, spare my life. I'm just a messenger. I'm coming because the king sent me. Spare my life. I've been sent by the king. You're a man of God. Spare me. He acted with respect and humility. Acted with respect and humility. Look what happens to Elijah in 15. And an angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. So... He's instructed by an angel. Now, in some places, the angel is in a capital A, and there's a belief that this could be a theophany. It could be a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ. It could be. We're not 100% sure, so we can't make it dogmatic. But it could be. Elijah goes down now. He goes down with this angel, and he's going to pronounce judgment on the king Azahiah. Let's read 16. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal, Zebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god of Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed on which you have gone up. You shall surely die. It wasn't that God didn't want to go to the king. It was that Azahiah and his captains and soldiers acted as if there was no god. They acted with impunity. They thought that they could get away with this kind of stuff. They acted, there is no God, so why should we worry about this guy? Elijah delivers the message directly to the king. It's the same message that Elijah had given to the men. The same message that he had said before. Does this strike a bell? Folks, the message hasn't changed. The message hasn't changed in thousands upon thousands of years. The message is still just as current today as it was when it was delivered. God's message does not change. The world changes around us. The world changes our message. But God's message doesn't came. What were Jesus' first words when he came onto the scene in John and when we studied in the Gospel of John? Anybody remember? Jesus' first words were echoing what John the Baptist was saying. The same thing that's being echoed in this chapter right now. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the same thing that we're trying to tell people today. Exactly the same thing that we're trying to tell people. The message has not changed. Only now, there is a new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ because of the cross. It's a new covenant. But the message is still, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Guys, this is the, these were in the last days. We're in the last days. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. So the message is still exactly the same. Still exactly the same. So this first chapter of first, the second Kings ends with Azahiah dying. And he leaves no successor. Let's read the rest of the chapter, 17 through 18. So Azahiah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Azahiah, which he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So now we come to this crazy name game. Azahiah dies. He doesn't have a son, so his brother, the next oldest in line, the brother becomes king. His name is Jehoram. We're going to begin to refer to him as Joram, J-O-R-A-M. Why? Because there's another Jehoram in Judah. You have two of them with the same name reigning at the same time. So keep a track of the names, folks. You got to have a scorecard here. You got to have a scorecard to keep a track of the names. They're going to come fast and furious. But before we leave the chapter, before we end up praying today, I think it's really prudent. You like that word, prudent? I think it's really prudent to remind ourselves that we live in an extremely proud and unrepentant world. We live in a world that will one day experience the wrath of God. A world that will one day experience the wrath of God. It says so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 9. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 9, it says about these men... These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Something's going to happen to the world when Christ comes back. Something's going to happen to the world. But he continues to command that men everywhere repent. Acts 17.30. But sadly... The world, as we look at it, is still in rebellion against God and will not repent. To get the world to see our Lord, we need to go back to being transformers, allowing the Spirit of God to transform our lives so that men and women will see Jesus and repent, so that they will return from their sins and accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We do this by living the gospel in front of them. By preaching the gospel to them, our lives become an epistle written on their hearts. Our lives become the epistle. The gospel is not only a message to believe, it's a message to obey. Why do we do this? So we do this by not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, we should be warned that the world system, this popular culture and manner of thinking, is in direct rebellion against God. We can't bring the world into our church. We cannot allow the world to come in and do things the way the world does things. We cannot. We will not. The world wants to conform you to its ungodly pattern. The world wants to conform you. Just look at any TV commercial on TV. Any one of them. You need this to be better looking, to be taller, to have more hair, blah, blah, whatever. You need this. You need to conform to us. You need to conform to us. That's what the world is telling us. We need to resist this thinking. And scripture says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is the opposite of being conformed to the world. Why? Because this is where the battle takes place. Right here between our ears in that hollow place. 
That when we go like this, something rattles around every now and then. This is where the battle below happens. The battleground is formed in our minds. We must think and act differently. Differently. I don't want to be conformed to this world. I don't want to be transformed. How do I do it? By the renewing of your mind through the Holy Spirit. The problem is many of us live by feelings. I'm not going to sing feelings, I promise. We're only concerned about doing. We live by feelings and concerned about doing. A life based on feelings says, how do I feel today? How do I feel about my job? How do I feel about my wife? How do I feel about this? How do I feel about that? How do I feel about that crazy guy up there on the podium? How do I feel about all these things? This life by feeling will never know the transformation of God. If you're living by feeling, you will never know the transformation of God because you're ignoring the mind. A life based on doing says, don't give me your theology. Just tell me what to do. Give me the four points for this and the seven keys to that. This life of doing will never know the transformation power of God because it ignores the renewing of the mind. God is never against the principles of feeling and doing. Please know that. He is a God of powerful and passionate feeling, and he commands us to be doers. But feelings and doing are completely insufficient foundations for the Christian life. They're insufficient foundations. The first question cannot be, how do I feel? Or what do I do? Rather, it must be, what is truth? And what does God's word say? What does God's word say about this situation that I'm in? You can't think of a situation that is coming near you today or that you're as befalling you today that is not answered in God's word. Can't think of one. It says, be transformed. And you all know that the Greek word here is metamorpho, which is metamorphosis. The same word that Mark used when he described Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain. This glorious transformation. A glorious transformation. The only other place that Paul uses it is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Quote, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, unquote. For Paul, this transformation and removing of our minds takes place as we behold God's face and we spend time with him and we read his word and we fellowship with believers. We need to be transformed, not comfortable. The church will continue to transform into what God wants it to be. We won't bring the world into the church. We will not reject God. We will teach God. We will preach God. We will preach the gospel. We will continue to do so until our Lord and Savior calls us in the air and meets us or we go through the valley of the shadow of death. But that's what we're going to do. You can prove what is the good and acceptable will of God this way. It's intelligent, it's meaningful, and it gives us hope. Well, that's what I got out of the first chapter of uh, Second Kings. Read it over for yourselves and see what the Lord speaks to you. I think it's very important that you read the Word of God. And as we move on, next week, we're going to say goodbye to Elijah. And his, 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 his protege, Elisha, will take over. So next week, we say goodbye to Elijah, who gets caught up into the air as his chariot of fire, and he rides up into the air, and we're going to, Elijah is going to take over, and Elisha actually does a lot more things than Elijah ever did. We read a lot of things about what Elijah does, and it's pretty cool. So that's where we are. Read chapter 2, and we'll see what the Lord would have you do. You are a sure.
This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. As you notice in the course of history, an entire nation can be led astray by following after other gods. But the leader of the nation is the one who sets the example. In so many cases in 2 Kings, the one who was in charge was himself acting wickedly or was swayed by the people who were doing evil practices. Unfortunately, you see the downfall and destruction of a nation when it chooses to stray from following after God. What does that mean for today? What are the patterns and practices being set into place in this nation? When you refer to history, it doesn't look promising. But that doesn't mean that you have to give in to societal pressures and practices. Your example of standing up against the norms could affect others around you. You never know who's observing and how they might change their own perspective based on your example. If you have any questions about what you heard today, you can reach us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We encourage you to keep looking to Scripture for answers about all of life's questions. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. If you want to hear this message again or others like it, you'll be able to find them on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to join us again next time to learn more valuable lessons in 2 Kings right here on Assure Hope.